Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Wednesday afternoon and Mr. Andrew Guy's birthday. Whammy, what a huge day. We're talking about one of his favorite movies of all time, 28 Days Later. This is Action Movie Anatomy. We'll see you guys in just a second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Oh, I thought we were listening to Still Dre for a second. I know, right? If this was like a if this was like a remix, I would be so impressed. <laughs> I was like going to try to start rapping. I was like, there's no way that I should do this today. Ha 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 ha! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy. We're back. We're back. It's Andrew's birthday. Happy birthday, buddy! Thanks, man. We are uh, Ben. Ben was very nice. He got me a little bit of uh, some scotch here. You know, we're sharing some of that. We got my mother on the couch. The beautiful yeah. Sue Peck is hanging out. Uh, we don't have her mic today because she would take over the show as she always does when <laughs> she's here. Uh, I don't think I've been more happy to like work on my birthday ever. Oh, really? Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, I guess this doesn't really feel like much of a job anymore. No, it really doesn't. It's just like me and Ben get to hang out for you know a couple hours every Wednesday. Uh, two years later, and my favorite, one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Would this make your top 50 if you had to guess? 100%. 100%. Yeah, no absolutely. Question. No questions. Yeah, I've been putting my list together. I've, I'm stalled on 61 right now. I, really? I've cut a few things, but I, I'm having a really hard time getting it trimmed down. There's a few movies that I like really love that I think probably make the 50. Uh-huh. Um, like, this movie I love, I don't think it'd be in my 50. I can see that. I mean, there, there's things about this, and I'm super curious to talk to you about the third act falling apart now that we just watched it again recently, and maybe yeah. see what the fans have to say and all that. Um it would be on the cusp for me. It's not like a for sure like top, top twenty 10. or top ten. But yeah, I definitely think it's in the top fifty. It's a really great movie. I mean, I was I was actually I enjoyed it more this time through. I was struck by a couple things that I, I can't wait to talk about in the episode. So, guys, this is Action Movie Anatomy. We yeah. talk about action movies here. I'm your host Ben Bateman. You've got Andrew Guy, the birthday boy, Woo! over here, a big twenty four years old. So, congratulations <laughs> to that. I'm gonna be able to rent a car next year. I'm yeah. really excited. It's and, exciting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks everybody in the chat for wishing me a happy birthday, and thank you to all those that watched uh, film therapy with me and Brian. Chandler last week. Ben was actually on the week before yeah. me. Uh, so if you guys want, you can go watch the AMA boys back-to-back weeks on Film Therapy. It's a great episode. Yeah, we had some good episodes. I'd like kind of poked some fun at myself, and then Andrew went like full-on inside the actor's studio. Yeah, I went like so, full depressing. My <laughs> yeah. mom's watched it like five times. She's like, every time I watch it, I cry. I'm yeah. like, perfect. Yeah, I like... I was basically you were Downey Jr. and I was Stiller in Tropic Thunder in that yeah. situation. I tried to go full full soloist, but I couldn't do it. It's tough, man. It's yeah. it definitely was tough. Yeah. So. Uh, a good reference there yeah. yeah it was a great reference I was, I was very i was thinking about it i was put processing one i was like that's impressive so uh yeah guys we talk action movies on the show this is this is i guess it's like a horror action movie it does have a lot of action in it yeah for sure yeah and it's the pace feels very actiony um but we are, however it doesn't feel like one of our films that we cover on the show no and i think it's pretty safe to say that over time we have we have sort of evolved out of the initial idea of what the show was originally going to be in terms mm-hmm. of the, the type of movie we cover the movie just has to be awesome and have like enough action yeah. for us to justify it exactly um but yeah guys this is the popcorn talk network you're listening to or watching the online broadcast network dedicated to talking about movies and all things movie related the action movies we cover on the show adhere to four basic rules so aside from being made after 1981 which is a soft rule that we mm-hmm. are sure to break Maybe never. We, we always say yeah, we're going to. It's so weird. We, we never have. But aside from that, rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. It's tough because, honestly, the real hero of this movie is Naomi Harris. Yeah. She's really the one that keeps everything together, drives the story. Yeah. Like, uh, Killian Murphy is kind of just the one that we... He's like our filter yeah. of the world. Yeah, so I, it's... 
it's definitely not one where it has an easy answer to that question. So mm-hmm. I think it, it bucks that rule for sure. Yep. The hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room. There's not really a hero that knows the most, and the villains are just these like rage zombies. So, yeah, and then the villains, the the if you really had to place a villain on a person, it'd be Robert Eccleston, but that wouldn't be till the last act of the movie. So. Raymond Kalitri. Raymond Kalitri. I like wood soft. It's oh, like watching. That's. I, I was like. It's uh, like watching a baby being born. <laughs> If you want to watch him in an Oscar-winning performance, go watch God in 60 Seconds. <laughs> Rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, or political figure, or mercenary. None of those. None of those. This no. movie pretty much doesn't hit any of the rules, except, except for, for rule the number explosion. four. The movie contains a minimum of one explosion. Which costs, yeah. A lot of money, and I forgot that it even happened. Yeah. Straight up. Didn't remember. There's a lot of things about this movie I didn't remember. Yeah, it's so crazy. There, there is so much that happens in this film. Um, it's like such a journey that there's parts that you definitely forget unless you watch it a lot. And that explosion cost 250,000 pounds to make. And the crew had filled out all the necessary paperwork yeah. except letting the police know. So, yeah, it caused quite the ruckus. Quite. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yes, and Danny Boyle had to deal with that for hours and hours. I think, honestly, so you've probably seen this movie, what, five, six times? Maybe Uh, more? Maybe 20. Yeah, okay. So this movie, I'll bet you I've seen this movie. This is probably the fourth time, third or fourth time. And it had been easily 10 years. So if I had to really think about it, what I remembered about this movie before watching it, I was because each time time a scene would come up that I, like, distinctly remembered, Mm -hmm. I would note it and be like, oh, yeah, this is what I expected I was watching. There's a lot of stuff I forgot about. So, like, scenes that happened that I completely forgot existed. Number one, the intro where they break out the monkey. Totally forgot that existed. Yeah, how'd you feel about that? Uh, it almost feels, like, unnecessary. Yeah, it's so interesting because, like, they took such an innovative approach with this film and yeah. not wanting to... I mean, it was the first time you saw zombies run and that, and, like, um, the thing that they talk... Well, yeah, uh, the thing they talk about is that, like, they wanted these zombies to be so different than the other zombies. They didn't want it to be something where you died and came back. Right. They wanted it to be where rage infected your body and took over, like Ebola and all that. So, like, it's one of those things where I didn't really ever know all that, or I didn't really even process all that. Yeah. I still, in my mind, because zombies have been so embedded in our culture for so long, it's been like, oh, it's a zombie, so it's got to die, and it's going to come back to life, you got to kill the brain. Um so that scene, I think, misses just a little bit. Yeah, that scene, that one I totally forgot about. I also forgot the fact that they take Jim out to execute him. I didn't remember that yeah. at all. Um, I also didn't remember that the that the guys, that the military guys, are luring women in just to lure women in. Yeah, they're I, for, assholes. For some reason, in my memory, it was like they go there, and then it's like these guys can't be controlled because, of course, they can't be controlled because it's like men cooped up. Right. But it's not like, I didn't remember it being like this intentional plot. Yeah, it was like, we're going to kill ourselves, and he's the captain. How do we make these men yeah. want to stay alive? Totally different point of view watching it this time. It's yeah. amazing the way you view movies. So The only reason that that scene <clears throat> sticks out to me, the prior one of him getting executed, is because he sees a plane fly by. Yeah. And that's such a monumental part in the movie yeah to where he's like they're it's, it's, it, the guy just says it beforehand the guy that went crazy yeah they just killed <clears throat> the other soldier he's like it's like it can't travel across the seas you yeah. know he's like they're just letting us kill ourselves on this island yeah so when you see the plane you're like holy shit yeah the rest of the world is just like 
that, that part is haunting to me, I think, yeah. more than anything. Well, it's also really weird. <clears throat> I mean, we're going to get into the whole thing, guys, but, like, it's definitely pretty weird that this movie came out the same time or within a year as The Walking Dead comic book. Mm-hmm. And they open in almost the exact same way. It's a guy in a coma that wakes up from basically missing the entire outbreak yeah. in a hospital. And he wanders around, and then he, like, you know, happens upon the first zombie. It's, like, literally the same premise. Yeah, and there's another film... I wish I could remember it. It's in the trivia, the Trina something. It's okay, like yeah. an old film, but it's it's like same thing. Guy wakes up. The only reason he made it is because he was isolated in a hospital. Yeah, empty Britain, things like that. So when you read the <clears throat> when you read the collected edition of Walking Dead Volume One, there's mm-hmm. a whole foreword written by Robert Kirkman where he's literally saying, "I had written the script for this. This was already in development when Twenty Eight Days Later came out, and it was in no way related to it. This is just it was just coincidence." And they came out so hmm. close to each other, people assumed that he essentially ripped off 28 Days Later. Because it's like a few years later. Right, um, right. So I thought that was so interesting, <clears throat> because they do feel so eerily similar. But the big difference in the two worlds, of course, is that in Walking Dead world, we, we are just led to believe that the whole world's gone. And yeah. in 28 Days Later, there is kind of a... There is sort of like a, an ending point to the story to some degree, where you mm-hmm. think there is the future. The future is like somewhat bright. The world's not over. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it, it's... Yeah, that is super interesting because this is, I mean, and one of our questions that we're going to get to is that this was a shot in the arm for the zombie genre. Like, what are other movies that did that for other genres? But specifically speaking about the zombie one, um, this is the film that did it. And then, like you said, since Walking Dead came out so close after, these two kind of walked hand in hand and paved that road. Well, there's just, there has been so much zombie content now um, in the last 10 years. And so one of the things I found so interesting about watching this movie was like, how many of the scenes in this movie now feel like they're they've been done over and over again? The imagery and how much how many of the scenes that I was watching and I was just like, I almost I honestly had forgotten that this was probably where I first saw that image. Yeah, but it's been used over and over again. I'm like building a crazy thesis in my mind. Yeah, like I could win like a Nobel Prize thesis. Okay, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. that good. <laughs> but it's basically talking. I mean, like what I'm thinking about is how it it's is crazy how this. Yeah. <laughs> It's about uh, the film Tropic Thunder. It's about the film Tropic Thunder. Simple Jack and, <laughs> Simple and the misunderstood Jack. role by Ben Stiller as Simple Jack in the film Tropic Thunder. <laughs> let me finish. God damn it, let me finish. No, um, it's about how the zombie genre is the only the only reason that it's lasted for so long. Like, think about Twilight. Think about vampires. Think about disaster movies and how those come and go. This has lasted for 17 years almost. It's been 15 yeah. years. I think it's because zombies... We don't ever deal with zombies. It's always about the people. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. In vampire films, it's about dealing with vampires. In all those other movies, it's about dealing with the creature. Whereas zombie movies and zombie films and TV shows, it's always boiled down to one thing. Right. It's about how humanity responds. Whereas all the other ones are about, we need to kill the vampire. We need to kill the werewolf. You know what I mean? Yeah, completely. And also that zombies, because they're like this mindless mass, they have they have no sentience. You know, They have no personality. It's not yeah. like they're partly alive or partly awake. It's like they're... You just kill them and you move on. So it's like you're not you're really just dealing with with, yeah. a, with a threat. The threat could be the same thing. Could be hunger. Could be poverty. Could be uh, anything. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, so anyway, guys, that is uh, those are going to be our initial thoughts opening up this episode here on Twenty Eight Days Later. Uh, if you want to follow along in the conversation, Andrew will be in the chat for about seven more minutes. And uh, <laughs> I'm getting a new phone. I'm getting a new phone. <laughs> and uh, you can follow us each on Twitter. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media, Twitter or Instagram. That was pretty funny. You proud of yourself for that? Was I thought that was very like funny. That? Yeah, you guys can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find our podcast at MA Podcast on Twitter. And lastly, guys, I have a brand new show that I've been doing for two weeks. Yeah, and it's every, been doing really well. Yeah, every single day I do it. It's called it's called Fist Pump Film Club, and mm-hmm. it's on Anchor, which is podcast 
meets Twitter. So it's like two to three minute audio blurbs that get put put on a little like app radio station. If you call in, I can post your call directly to my channel if I want to. Or initially, I'm the only person that hears it, and uh, the stories fall off after 24 hours. So it's just two like to three the minutes at a time. Coolest Snapchat ever for things that are more important than what did you eat for lunch today? Yeah, it's like, if, and I only talk about movies, the best movies, what's going on in the movie world, and the best parts in those movies. It's really inspired by this show. So go download Anchor and follow Fist Pump Film Club. I also have a Magic the Gathering station, but you know it's less relevant to the show. And it's so new that you guys can literally talk to Ben one-on-one. He will put you on yeah. air. He'll bring your calls on. So if you want to be featured, you want to do it, now's the time. Yeah, you just call in. I, and I, I post calls. I get a bunch of call-ins. It's really awesome. It's like super, super fun. Yeah. Uh, next Tuesday, I'm, debuting, I'm de- uh, debuting Top 50 Tuesday, where I'm going to be counting down my top 50 movies for 50 oh, you're weeks. you're going to do it. Yes. Uh, fi- one movie a week. 50 weeks. That's yeah. cool. Because yeah. Okay, so when Ben and I got hammered and watched Anaconda, we started Anaconda. making... Anaconda. We started making our top 50. My niece watched that movie, or really? watched that episode. Oh, really? The whole, uh, the, my favorite thing was that I always thought it was Christopher Walken in that <laughs> role. I just, I died when she said that. I don't know why. Um, but uh, what was I saying about our Anaconda episode? Oh, when we were getting together to watch Anaconda, we decided to sit down and write. He, Ben's like, I know this seems ridiculous, and I know we've done it before, but let's just take 15 minutes and yeah. just brainstorm our free, free-form, tangential 50 favorite movies. Yeah. And it was really cool. Yeah. I, I actually got like 40-something down. I got close to 100 in the end, and I've been trimming it down, just trying to give, give myself enough days so I don't forget anything really important. Do you have your number one? Well, my number one favorite movie of all time is Point Break. And that's just going to be your number one, so people already know that. Yeah, it's not really... For me, it's not so much about revealing which right. are my favorites. It's more about taking three to four minutes per movie per day on, on those days, on those Tuesdays, and just sort of having a mini AMA fist pump moment sort of feeling about each movie once a week. Yeah, and also just being who you and I are to actually know what your favorite movies are. Yeah. To be like, oh yeah, my top five favorite movies are this, 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 and this. Yeah, it's like, hard well, to do. Really? And be like, no, trust me, I put hundreds of hours into this I'm not quite there yet but there's movies that I love that are like getting trimmed you know it's like I realized like City of God not gonna make my top 50 I realized Mm. I don't think Children of Men is gonna make my top 50 you know, Mad Max Fury so Road, hard to cut not going to make my top out. 50. Empire Strikes Back won't make my top 50. Like, these are movies that are on the list, but I just know I can't put them in the list. So. Yeah. Anyway, guys, we're going to watch the trailer right now for 28 Days Later, and then we are going to share our thesis statement. Marissa Serafini up in the booth. What's going on, Marissa? What's up, Marissa? Hello, gentlemen. Happy birthday, Andrew. Thank you, Marissa. Uh, Richard Jarvie here says, cool show on Anchor, Ben, and thanks for uh, airing my call. Of course, man. Yeah. Thanks for calling in. We're drinking scotch, by the way. In case you were wondering. Ooh, it's a bad trailer already. Yeah, you can tell it's bad. I like want to change the channel. Did they just show the full frontal in the trailer? Was it, is this a UK trailer? Maybe they blacked it out. Did we just show the full frontal on the show? <laughs> Spoiler alert. No! <laughs> no! And that was the day what? Andrew and Ben were fired. <laughs> <laughs> so who are you? Wake up today in hospital. Wake up and I'm, I'm hallucinating. No! Fucking hallucinating. They're infected. Infected! Infected with nuts! I shouldn't have done that. It's the blood. There's something in the blood. Mom, you can always put one of those things up if you want to listen to it. Someone, uh, you never go anywhere alone unless you've got no choice. Hello? 
It's made like one of those really shitty straight to DVD trailers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you remember this era. See, this is a really shit idea. You know why? That's a long shit idea. You have to leave now. More will be coming. They always do. He, like, wasn't really anybody yet. He, no. He'd done the you hear that beach. Song? Yeah. You know what that is? It's from Sunshine, isn't it? It's called To Heal by the band Underworld, and it plays at the end of Sunshine. They're dead. Yeah. I've and listened to it on next. repeat for an hour or an hour. It's a two and a half minute song. Who uses music better in films? Than Danny Boyle? Yeah. Paul Thomas? Maybe. Maybe. I think uh, Scorsese has a strong Maybe. argument. He's used music really well, I think. Did we just talk over, and did you just finish the trailer early, Marissa? It's okay if you did. I'm not... That was the end? Okay, I was just going to say, did we just, like, quit caring so much because that trailer was so bad? Really bad trailer. Dark, uh, grainy, uh, definitely... A lot of the worst elements of this movie were shown in that trailer just now. Like, the parts of this movie that make it sort of the, like, low-budge, pulpy sort of horror movie, Mm -hmm. which is probably the worst part of it. Yeah, there's something about it that used to be kind of cool. It was kind of like grainy and gritty and raw and real. And now that we've kind of moved forward so far in cinema and yeah. cinematography, we realized they were just using tricks. Well, it was that, DV. I mean, it's it's it's, yeah. it's the same. It's an 02 released in 03, collateral shot in 04, 03, 04. It's that grainy digital video thing where people hadn't quite... Now it's just common. But at yeah. the time, the switch, <clears throat> digital video looked a lot grainier. Yeah, and then like with the way that they filmed the all the night scenes during... The daytime, excuse me, and then the way that they did um, the stuff with the zombies, and they would film on a camera that would film at like sixteen hundred FPS, yeah, and, and all that. So it's it's weird because those things they're used intentionally, but they have aged poorly. There's also like some really interesting tricks in this movie. I, like it's a very fascinating movie because I think Danny Boyle. Well, I, actually, this is going to be great. We should get into our next part of our, yeah, okay. our show here. So let's get into thesis statement, guys. Uh, this is thesis statement. It's your first time watching, first time listening. This is the part in the show where we share like a big, bold thought. Something, the strongest thought we have about the movie. The greatest this, the best this, the first this. Something mm-hmm. not like, this is my favorite performance by Killian Murphy in the 2000s. Or like, this is one of the ten best zombie movies I saw as a teenager. Right. <laughs> it yeah, should yeah. be like, this is the best zombie movie ever. Or, you know, something like that. And uh, we share those thoughts, and we kind of just, like, ride those thoughts throughout the entire episode. So I'll jump in with mine because it's... <laughs> we did show the penis. Did we? I think so. I think that was the Red Band trailer. People are like, well, that was the first <laughs> penis on AMA. Uh, <laughs> Is that a real thing? Like a- yeah, apparently. Let's see. Oh, Day of the... Day of the Triffids. Triffids is confirms what, the yeah, penis. Confirms the penis. Actually, they actually it's the same shot for shot penis. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's continue. So, um, in any case, uh, where was I? I lost my train of penis. Um, no, no. <laughs> Talk no. about the thesis. So, uh, thesis statement. Mom, you having fun? <laughs> so uh, this is what happens when you drink on the air. No, no. What I was going to say is with the thesis statement. So, I was watching this movie and I was noticing all of these like small weird details that Danny Boyle threw in. Like for instance. You know that scene when they're sleeping in the parents' house? In his parents' house? Do you notice, like, the top left, there's, like... You see Jim's face? I never noticed it before, but it's, like... They're showing the city and the sunrise, basically. And you just see, like, kind of a faded... Just, like, oval of of his face sleeping. Really? Yeah, it's, like... It's a weird thing. I was like, that's a strange shot. It's, like, they're in the middle of a fade, and they just stay on it. And oh, no, no, no. I do know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's cool. It, it wasn't, like, bad. It just was one of those things where I was like, that's so weird. And then there's also that scene when they're driving and there's that shot of the car from a distance. Yeah. And it looks like a Van Gogh painting. Mm-hmm. And the flowers are all painted. Yeah. So weird. Like, those are, like, those things where they're really cool, but, like, they're... This was this part of his career where he hadn't really become Danny Boyle yet. 
Yeah, it's so interesting. It's we we've come. I think it's so funny because Tony Scott and Danny Boyle are literally worlds apart. But yeah. it's true that these these directors really come into their own. And even if they step away for like a film or something, like I mean, Slumdog is reminiscent of Danny Boyle, but it's not quite. I mean, like Sunshine and Twenty Eight Days Later feels so much yeah. like him, his style. But um, it, it's just interesting as these directors kind of develop and mature, and they really, really have like. This is my style now. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, they feel cleaner, slicker, less gimmicky, yeah. like less choppy. Um, I think the thing about this movie, I mean, so my thesis statement is this: um, this is the most important movie of Danny Boyle's career, <laughs> through and through, and no question in my mind. And it's a hard one to defend because the obvious movie you would throw in there would be Slumdog because he won the Oscar yeah. for Best Picture and right? Director. Did he win Best Director? Yeah. Right? So you throw in Slumdog, right? That's a huge one. That's a big win. He gets Best Picture nominations for both 127 Hours and Steve Jobs. Train Spotting is a cult classic from its era, right? Sunshine is a movie that, like, pretty much every person who likes good movies absolutely yeah. adores. Absolutely. Shallow Grave to a lot of people is a classic. Still haven't seen that. I mean, like, Danny Boyle is this guy who's made all these movies people love. But I would say there is no movie in his career more important than 28 Days Later. And the reason I say it is this. You can look at every other movie he's ever made that was well-received, right? Every other one, maybe that was a better movie, better, cleaner movie, uh, more professional, more important story. Even if you look at Slumdog, which is a phenomenal movie and one yeah. of my 50 favorite movies for sure. Mm-hmm. More, more so than this. Yeah. But this is the most important zombie movie of our lifetime. Definitely. It's probably the most important horror movie of our lifetime. And it, hmm. it literally redefined the entire genre. It's the first time we saw fast zombies. And Danny Boyle made this on a shoestring budget early in his career. Like, if, if you take every single horror movie that's come out since we were kids and you trace them all back to this movie, like, this is kind of like the referendum point for movies. Like, it's just, it's terrifying yeah. and scary and interesting and dark and dramatic. It's not cheesy. And innovative. And innovative. It's not It's not using cheap scares to scare you. It's it's legitimately scary. Yeah, there's none of those, like, da, really quick, da, you know, like. And it, or you turn around and it's your friend. Yeah. yeah. It's none of that crap. And it's such a simple, small movie. It's, that's the thing I was noticing while I was watching it. You know, my fist pump moment, um, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but my fist pump moment just specifically references, like, one of the things that makes this movie so special. We didn't talk about it, did we? No. Ah, I'm so curious. So that's yeah. my thesis statement. This is the most important movie Danny Boyle ever made. It's, it's a weird one to defend, but I think I think in an argument with anybody, I could probably I – could, I could win that argument. I, I feel think, strongly about it. Yeah, I think that the only – person that would have that you would have a really hard time debating against would be someone that argued train spotting and had done all their homework you know what i mean something like that yeah because Where it is like one of the it's one of the absolute cult iconic indie for movies sure the and 90s. they're doing you know a, a, a sequel 20 years later yeah. and they're doing all that and it's like he wouldn't have ever had the opportunity to make slumdog if he hadn't have done um train, train spotting uh that's that's i mean I, I don't disagree with you i just don't know if i do agree sure. you know i feel like i need to do a little homework um but i i really do like that and I, this is my favorite danny boyle movie so probably um my thesis is pretty straightforward and, and i think i just i had to claim it because it just needed to be said this is the best zombie movie ever made um I really agree with that. I really feel very strongly about that. And, I, and I've watched all the old ones. I've watched, you know, Dawn of the Dead. I've watched the ones that are back in black and white. And then, like, they're all so important to the genre. But what was so great about this movie was that, first of all, it's not the same. The zombies are different. They're not dying, coming back to life. It's like being infected with rage, which I thought was so interesting. And, like, what was going on with our culture and Ebola and blah, blah, blah. Um, 
But what I loved about it is that it really made you realize, and it's like what we talked about earlier, is that the thing about zombies is that they're really just a placeholder. They're a MacGuffin for dealing with society and people. Yeah, and right. Like you said, anything. So the reason that I think this is the most important zombie movie is because it reminded us that like we could have an awesome horror movie with a monster or a creature in it that really just brought out the terrors of human and mankind. Well, that's why Rage is what it is. Yeah, it's, it's not a... Yeah, exactly. It's inspired by road rage yeah. and, and political anger and all of these, you know, and, and, like, anger at poverty and, like, all these feelings and emotions that people in actual culture were feeling. And they were like, let's make the zombie outbreak not about wanting to eat brains, but let's yeah. make it about being angry. Like, exactly. And, like, even now, it, it's, it's it hits home. Like, how angry are so many of us? Yeah. Every day we wake up and we look at our phones, we look at the news, we look at Twitter, and we're just like, Fuck! Just look at Roka's Twitter feed. Yeah, right? Just look at John Roka's Twitter feed and you'll just be mad. Uh, but that's what I think was so cool. And, and I think that's why this is the most important zombie movie ever. And also just like, it's the same thing like when you're watching a movie. Don't go back there. Don't go around the door. Don't turn that light on. Like, just walk away from it. It's a zombie. Right. It's just walking. Yeah. You can literally just shut the door and you're safe. Yeah, there's also like one of like like two really interesting aspects. Watching it this time, I had totally forgotten. They don't bite you. No, they're not. They're like they're just like hitting you and like throwing you, hitting and kind you of, and like spitting blood on you, and then they eat you eventually if like yeah. that if it comes to it. But it's like that's not their thing. It's not like brains. they're not going for your neck or your face or your arm. It's not really like that. And it was such like so interesting to watch. They're like terrifying. You know, we hired athletes to play the zombies. Yeah, right? and. Uh, and I, I couldn't find it this time around, and please correct me if I'm wrong, people uh, out there, even if you know, but I'm pretty sure the priest was the first one. You mentioned that yeah. before. I, I, didn't, I don't know and that, I could, but... So what I had heard, and one of my friends told me, because one of my best friends in college, my roommate, he, him, he and I love this movie, and he was saying when he'd read somewhere is that the very first zombie you encounter intimately is the priest in the church, and they were saying that Danny Boyle kind of just had him do his thing. And he did that, that, like, erratic, like, spastic movement yeah. thing in the sound. And he was like, that's what we're going to do for everybody. I don't know if that's true or not. That's what I'd heard loosely. But, like, yeah, they're yeah. terrifying. And, like, so many people, you see them get infected by just getting, like, the blood spit on them. It's yeah. not about getting bit, which is, like, I think scarier almost. For sure. And <laughs> that's going to that's gonna lead us directly into our next segment, guys, yes. which is called Fist Pump Moment. Uh, fist Pump Moment is that moment when you're watching a movie. Something happens, and you're just like, this is so awesome. I get to watch the rest of this movie. Nope. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? This is so good. You want to call your buddy and be like, hey, turn the movie on. Go to 12 minutes. I, I know. Your I know jury you, duty? I don't care. I don't care. Walk out. <laughs> drain your data plan. I need you to watch this on YouTube right now. And uh, that's the fist pump moment. It can be anything. It can, it can be the sound. It can be a, a music track, a, a touching look between father and son, mm-hmm. that look that Nick Nolte gives to Joel Edgerton in the last seven minutes. Straight across. Warrior. Yep. Yeah, that's Beautiful. an insert shot. Um, yeah. They flew Nick Nolte back out <laughs> just to pick up that shot. That's a fist pump moment right there. Yeah. Can be anything. Uh, fist pump, we've been talking about him for, you know, 95 episodes. So uh, my fist pump moment, and uh, I love this one, and I always remember this one. Brennan Gleeson, I think, is the best part of this movie. I think he's the best. I just think he's the best part of the movie. I think oh, my God. Best. Do we have the same fist pump? It might be. Yeah. I wouldn't, okay, be, keep I wouldn't going, be surprised. Keep going. Yeah. And it's, you know, he's so angry when they find out that when they get to this, uh, this like, little encampment they were supposed to report to that the, this, they're not going to be saved. And there aren't there is, there's no army and there's no cure. Mm-hmm. And he's been trying ever since you first met him to, like, spin it positive and remain positive and be there for his daughter and, and encourage her. And he's such a loving father and he loves her so much. Mm-hmm. And when he finds out that he's just angry and he's like, well, you know, where the fuck are we going to go? And he's so mad. Yeah. And he's, and he walks away for a second and he sees this crow eating the zombie and he's like, 
ah, get out, get out of it. You know, you're going to turn into the thing. Like, get off of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he's om- he's still like a good heart. He's like, I want this bird not to turn. And the drop of blood drops in his eye. And then his daughter starts to walk up to him. And she, and he has, he knows. I, I've always remembered this moment. He knows that he maybe has 20 seconds. He has 20 seconds. And he's going to get to tell her consciously that he loves her maybe one more time. Yeah. And he just pauses and he's just like, I just want you to know that I love you very much. I'm oh, sorry. Yep. I'm sorry I yelled at you. I'm sorry I lost my temper. Love and she's like, much. what? I love you very much. And she's like, get, get away, away from me. me. Get away from me. And he, goes, get, and he kind of throws her. Yeah. And it's just the best it's, moment in the whole oh. movie because he's the best character and he's the thing that grounds the movie. And his love for his daughter is really what keeps the movie together. It, it's so bleak when you first meet Naomi Harris. Before you meet Brendan Gleeson, it's like, it's kind of like watching District 9. It's like, yeah. I this movie's great, but it's just so gritty. Like, am I ever going to want to watch this again? There's no character that I really love here. Um, you know, it's everybody's just kind of this... this she's, she's, like, so pragmatic. And you meet Brendan Gleeson, and he's just this symbol of hope. And you're like, that's yeah. what it would be like to have a daughter in this situation. Where's my dad? Yeah. Where's my dad? You know, like, it'll be... Yeah. Even when he's like, let's... It's a celebration. And she's like, it's, you know, mom's stuff. And he's like, you're right. Your mother's... And it's just everything about him just... And it breaks he my heart. Is, yeah. He is. It's it's that he's the best part of the film. Yeah, he's he my absolutely favorite. is. He's my favorite. And part. that's why you and I are best friends. That's my fist pump. Exactly. We moment. did not talk. About, absolutely, it's yeah. Jacob Leafs as well. Yeah. It's it's there's something so. Just it's such a tragic moment when that drop falls in his eyes and he has that moment and and, and like, for to speak to him as an actor. You go, you feel, you're like, oh my God, his daughter, he can't be there for her anymore. And it's like the thought process of that moment, like I can't, I mean, my mom's sitting here on the couch. It's like, imagine that you're sitting there protecting your child yeah. in this hell, literally yeah. in hell. Like at the end of the road. Literally the end of the road. Yeah. And something happens and you realized, and like the amount of thought that happens in that moment yeah. in Brandon Gleason isn't, it's like, I'm going to die. I can't help my daughter. She's going to die. How are we going to get out of here? What happened? What? Like, I, I, I'm going to change any teller. I love her. Like, all this happens in one second. It's just brilliant, and it's beautiful, and and that's, you know, I, I mean, that's probably my favorite line as well, um, but just for the show's purpose, I'll make it something else. But yeah. For sure, it's when he, it's when he goes, I, 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 I love you. I love you very much. Yeah. I'm sorry for, you know, and you're just like... Ugh. He apologizes for yelling. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. It's such a good scene. And when you talk about the things I didn't remember about this movie, mm-hmm. that's one I absolutely did. That's that's the scene I think that I always have remembered about this movie more than any other. It's probably it's probably Jim waking up and yeah. walking around the empty city and then this. Um, so that's just a great moment. That actually brings us into our next segment, guys. It's a brand new segment we're debuting on the show today for the very first time. Yes. And this is, this is innovative. It's brand new stuff. If you're in the chat, if you're a long-time listener, long-time watcher... You're going to know right where we're going with this because it it's so what we are into. Yes. But this is a segment called Just Add Cox. And it's not <laughs> dirty, even though it sounds dirty. So you guys may know, you may know that we love Tom Cruise, we love Denzel Washington. But when it comes to, when it comes to actors that are in the movies we love that are not the lead character. They are not top three build usually. Yeah. Brian, Brian Cox is like top of the list. He's yeah. like, we probably reference Brian Cox more than almost anyone. And, and one of the reasons why we talk about Brian Cox is you look at all the movies he's been in, whether he's hilarious or not, but it's like Troy is an example of him just owning it, being awesome. But, like, there's these people, and, and, and Troy and Braveheart are both perfect examples of, like, great epics because they have Brandon Gleeson and Brian Cox yeah, in both of both them. Up. And essentially what we're doing here is that there's these guys that get put in movies that aren't built at the top, but if they're in the movie, it will be better no matter what. Just because their name is on the list, it will be a better film. So, like, when you when you get a movie 
movie made, usually with a big budget, you've got to have a star attached. And then you need yep. to have like a couple other people, either some We will use Safe House as an example because it's a perfect example. Yeah, to get the movie made, you need Denzel. Yep. Without Denzel, the movie doesn't get made, right? But you and also need a young, hot up-and-comer, so you pick up Ryan Reynolds. Cool. You put Ryan Reynolds in there. So then you think, okay, now we have all these other roles, and these are, these are going to be the character roles, right? Mm-hmm. These aren't going to be leads, but they're going to be good roles. So you start thinking, you go down the list, there's not that many actors who have big enough cachet where you know they're going to do a good job. You don't need to audition them. You can just offer them the part because you've worked with them before. You've yep. seen them and stuff. They're not going to try to steal the scene. They're just going to fill a role perfectly. So, so Brendan Gleeson gets the role in that film because yes. Brendan Gleeson's fantastic. Yes. Our favorite person who does this of all time is Brian Cox. Let's just run through his like 95 to 04 filmography for a second. You've got, you've got Braveheart. You've got Troy. You've got Adaptation. Yep. You've got X-Men 2. Yep. You've got Born Identity. You've got Born Supremacy. You've got The Ring. Did I say Adaptation? I'm so glad got, that you're doing it this way because you know, I don't even need to pull up my phone. Uh that's you could just repeat those six or seven, eight to ten movies over and over and over. So you're looking at all those movies and you're like, okay. And where is he on the billing list? He's like fifth. Isn't or he sixth. the dad in Garden State? I'm pretty sure he's the father in Garden State. I'm almost positive he's Zach Braff's dad. I so, think the you therapist could be right. Hey, Marissa, do you know that off the top of your head or no? I can look it up. I'm almost positive Brian Cox plays Zach Braff's dad in Garden State, and. He's just great in all those roles. We love Brian Cox. Yeah. And, and we, he's been my fist pump moment in multiple movies. His scene, his first scene in Born Supremacy. Yeah. What do you, when, when, when Pam Landy, what do you know about Jason Bourne? Never heard of him. Never heard of him. He just clearly does, but he's just like, yeah. he's just disgruntled. Like, yeah, just brr. Uh, like, yeah, people love Brian Cox. Yeah. They're talking about their fist pumps and all that. You know, it's, so, I mean, like, it's, it, this is still kind of a loose idea, but we're trying to, like, tie it together. The premise behind Just Add Cox is that every movie is made better, every movie is made better with Brian Cox. Mm-hmm. Every movie, right? That's, like, that's our feeling is that every single movie is made better with Brian Cox. Yes. But he's not the only one. There's a list of guys and girls who, when you put them in a For movie, sure. are just phenomenal. Like, just really, really do it. And so we started to come up Vera with... Vera Farmiga is also... She could be one for the females. She's quite like good. You look yeah. at her Departed. You look at her in Safe House. She's always great. She's great and up in the air. Yep. Um, you, he's not in Garden State? He's not the dad? No Garden State. <sighs> I wonder who the dad is in Garden State. Um, anyway, so... Oh, I know who it is. It just popped in my head, but really? I can't think of his name. So the premise here is that... Just like in sports, just like in baseball, when you have war, just like in basketball when you have PER, there's these metrics that sports use, sabermetrics, which is yeah. like a certain number of points that you get for having a player on the roster. It's like it's like number of wins above replacement, right? Yes, yes. And so in movies, we started to think about, yeah, okay, you add Tom Cruise or Denzel to a movie, of course the movie's going to be awesome. But that's going to spend Ian Holm. Yeah. Ian Holm, yep, yep, yep. That's going to spend the majority Millions. of the... <clears throat> I was going to say, it's going to cost millions. Yeah, it's going to cost millions. I yeah. mean, that's it costs a huge amount of money, and you can't put multiples of those in unless it's like a Fast and the Furious movie. So you start thinking about the list, you know, when you add somebody like a Brian Cox, when you essentially just add Cox, who are you getting your highest return on investment in, yeah. in, in, in the form of quality of the movie? And so it's like Bill Paxton was one of our, like Bill Paxton is a great one. Paxton's for, RAR is extremely high. It's extremely high. So we're calling this RAR, which is rating above replacement and yes. rating in terms of either IMDb score or Rotten Tomato score. We haven't quite decided. I think it's probably IMDb score because tomatoes can't reference old movies very well. Yeah, they, they really don't. They don't, <clears throat> the, the rating does not age well. Yeah, so I think we're going to go with the IMDb rating, but RAR is the new statistic and, uh, Brian Cox is the guy that inspired this, but in this film, Brendan Gleeson's RAR is phenomenal. Like I think, I oh, think Brendan Gleeson's RAR in this movie is at least 0.5. Like it maybe it's probably not a full point, but like it's pretty freaking. So high. we're talking, we're talking like batting average. If we're if we're thinking like one is perfect. Like I think probably 1.0 is perfect. Uh, no, like like number of points he's worth. That's like on a score. Well, no, I, but you're talking about like an ERA, like point nine eight seven or point. Like this movie probably got like a what? Uh, 
seven point seven or yeah, eight something or something like something like that. Uh-huh. So I'm saying of the seven point six that this movie got on IMDb, I think he's worth probably point six of it. I think if you put he did okay, I see what you're saying. I think all if right, you put right, like right. a, an inf- let's just say you put an Ian Holm, who's uh-huh. a very good actor, which is yeah, Ian Holm, uh, Ray Winstone, Departed, yeah. like those guys yeah, are great. Those guys are I mean, all... those guys are all probably pretty close to Gleason. Oh, they're in there, yeah, yeah. But I mean, sure. there's guys like I'll bet you if you put Chris Cooper in the role, it's like yep. he he probably has a RAR of like point eight. Oh, I bet his is super high. Yeah, Gary Sinise in the nineties, yeah, probably like point six, very high, yeah, RAR. very yeah. high. So yeah, I think you guys basically get the idea here. It's essentially <laughs> that there's these character actors that. It's a shot in the arm for the film. Yeah. You know, and, and like these people, Brendan Gleeson, Brian Cox, uh, Ray Winstone, these are at the top of the list. Uh, Paxton. Yeah. So every time that we talk about this on the show, every time we bring in another Whoopi one of Goldberg these. Goldberg in the early 90s. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> See, his daughter was the biggest surprise, though. These are my favorite performances. Yeah. Uh, I, people are a fan. People love Brian Cox. So I think I think we're onto something here. Yeah, Brian Cox. Just Ed Cox. <laughs> so that's that. Just Add Cox is a segment you guys are going to hear from us more often. Um, so moving on from Just Adding Cox, yes. Brendan Gleeson just being the man in this movie, that's let's get right. into star profiles. You keep saying Killian Murphy. and It's Cillian. Well, Killian? Okay. Cillian? Are you sure? I don't know. Nor do I. I I've think it's said, Killian. I used to say Killian. Then I said Cillian for it's a long time. Cillian. Are you sure? Yes. Have you heard are him you say it? A thousand percent? Have you heard him say it? Cillian. Right. The spelling would suggest Cillian. That was one thing about my buddy in college, and his name's Brian. I talk about him a lot. Yeah. He loved to pronounce, like, all these people's names when I say them. Yeah. Like, why did you say Shadell? It's Cheadle. Yeah. (laughs) Brian is the guy that put this, like, extra flair on all these words. Killian. (laughs) Shadell. Like, there's all... And then when I say them, I'm like, obviously that's wrong. Yeah. But I've been saying it this way for so long, I just like the way it sounds. Like, it should be Don Shadell. Yeah. Wow, look at these three movies. It's his fault. Okay. Cillian Murphy. Yeah, so you look at Cillian, Killian Murphy. Go ahead. Yeah. And he's got Disco Pigs in 2001. Never heard of it. On the Edge. Never heard of it. Never heard of them. Uh, On the Edge in 2001. And How Harry Became a Tree in 2001. Never heard of any of those films. Nor have I. And I actually didn't look them up for that purpose. So, Cillian Murphy. um, Let's just do a quick over-under proper on him. I think that's probably damn it. Someone just said it's Killian with a K. We'll never know. It's not Killian. Well, I know they're saying pronounce, <laughs> pronounce pronunciation wise. Okay, I, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you. It's off. It's one or the other. Yes. Let's do an over under proper on Cillian Murphy. Um, I think it's probably the easiest way to talk about his career because he he had a big run after this movie. Um, he's With had the some Dark Knights, and really the... big stuff. I mean, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, um, obviously Peaky Rises, Blinders was really Peaky big. Blinders. Sunshine was really big. Did you watch Peaky Blinders, Mom? No, you watched Downton Abbey, right? Yeah. Okay. I Peaky Blinders. Yeah. yeah, people loved it. Down and Abbey. Pe- uh, Peaky Blinders is a very popular show. Um, he's just been the wind that shakes the barley. Is a movie that he was in. I saw once the greatest game ever played, or maybe that's Shia Buff. Um, but he's just in a bunch of stuff. He's one of those actors when you see him in a movie, it's usually sort of like, oh, wasn't he the villain in Red Eye? Yes. Yeah. And not Flight Plan. Not Flight Plan, which, which I got correctly. Yes, in the you sh- did yeah, get it in our. Yeah. Which we guys, we're going back on the Shmoda real very, soon. Yeah, very soon. Yeah. Our episode premieres sometime soon. I'm not really sure. I think when. it's next week, maybe sometime, but yeah. not positive. Yeah, yeah. Us we'll, against the Nerds Watch. We'll have the we'll have the date sooner than later. Um, but uh, yeah, so Cillian Murphy. You know, it's this is this is what I'm going to say. My answer: Cillian Murphy is the poor man's Eddie Redmayne. Which is so funny because I feel like Eddie Redmayne is the poor man's Eddie Redmayne. Well, I I know that you feel he's like oh, he's like gotten too much hype. Like that, I know I don't know why because it's he's it incredibly talented. It's because it happened really fast. But he's put in so much time on Broadway. I think I just need to like. I think what I need to do is sit down and read Eddie Redmayne's Wikipedia and then like watch one clip on him talking about acting. And I'll be like, oh my god, he's, his journey has been so brutal. <laughs> he's a really good actor. Yeah. Um, Eddie, but here's the difference between Eddie Redmayne and Cillian Murphy. 
Cillian Murphy essentially was in the position to be Eddie Redmayne 10 years ago. But does Eddie Redmayne have movie star charisma? I don't think he does. I just think he's an incredible actor. Like, I don't even think Daniel Day-Lewis has movie star charisma. Yeah, but I, I don't think that Eddie Redmayne is... So, like, here, here's what I would say. The reason I say this, that he's the poor man's Eddie Redmayne. Mm-hmm. You're never going to see either Eddie Redmayne or Cillian Murphy put on a bunch of muscle and play the starring role in some, like, big action adventure thing. Neither. And I'm not even talking playing, like, Robin Hood or, like, King Arthur. I'm And still, I'm definitely not playing John McClane in, the, in like, the Die Hard reboot. Right. They're, I, the best thing they're going to get is... Fantastic Beasts and How to Find Them. That's the kind of that's the kind of starring franchise role these kind of actors would get, right? They basically are Burberry models who can win Oscars. That's like what mm-hmm. they look like. Um, Fair skinned, skinny, incredibly talented. They they just are they're like pretty and delicate looking almost. Yeah, and they <clears throat> it's weird because Cillian has that look to him where he could almost be he almost has a Chris Cooper effect where you're like that guy's only a bad guy. Yeah, right, right. But he has just enough to where he can be a good guy. Um, wait, you didn't ever say what you, how you actually feel, though. I think in the end, the way I feel about him is that he is properly rated. And the way the reason I, I, would, I would say underrated, except that he's been put in position time and time again to sort of next to level. Yeah, yeah. Just to, like, next level, to, like, to get that movie, to get that Oscar nomination, or to have that iconic role. And it's like he's worked a lot ever since he broke on with this movie. And he's had 15 years to really, like, break out with one of those roles. Jesus, time flies. You put Redmayne in, like, that same kind of position. He gets an Oscar nom and win, follows it up with another Oscar nom, and parlays that into Fantastic Beasts. And that's yeah, just in a few years. But do you think that in 10 years people still care about Eddie Redmayne? Maybe. I think it's just, just as much as they care about Cillian Murphy. That's fair. Yeah, and he'll have the whole franchise of Fantastic Beasts. It's just something about... I, I, was, uh, I went to a taping of Ellen fairly recently, and Eddie Redmayne was one of the guests. And so I sat, like, 20, 30 feet away from him for, like, a 10-minute interview. How would you feel about him? He was great. Tons of charisma. Yeah. Tons, like, super high energy. Movie star. Yeah. He yeah. got asked to do, like, animal impressions, and he did, like, t- ten in a row, and they were really good. It's so crazy. You realize that all these people, like, no matter what level they're at, they're all stars. He's a you star. Know? He's a star star. And so, like, that's what I say. Like, I love Cillian Murphy. I think the guy's fantastic. Yeah. But I think he's properly rated because this is my feeling. If you see a billing with Cillian Murphy on it right now... He adds RAR. He's got a, he's got a high RAR in your mind. He's, he's yeah high enough. Yeah. You see it and you think, oh yeah, he's good. He's going to add something to this movie that I want to see. He's not an irrelevant person. Right. You know, you think about people who have like a like. There's actors out there who have like essentially an irrelevant RAR, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, you talk about like I don't know, uh, <laughs> Jai Courtney, for instance. Oh, that's a, guy. a great example of someone with no RAR. He's just like like I'm going to pay millions of dollars for you to do something that anyone can do yeah like I'm just like I, I'm not gonna not like you in this yeah. movie but there's you don't like really inspire me to want to see it Amanda Peet I'm like alright Amanda Peet's in a movie she's she's very pretty she's been quite good in several things but I don't really go to see movies to see Amanda Peet no um, I think that I think Cillian Murphy his RAR is still pretty high like at least point three, point four. yeah I mean he he has great value to Scarecrow yeah Scarecrow's like the fifth build and he's not gonna movie. and most movies if he's in a big budget movie he's probably getting the fourth fifth sixth build yeah, he's not yeah, getting yeah. a starring role right now uh, so it sounds like people think that it's Killian but we'll just keep moving on with that um, and they were saying that yeah Redmayne has no flair and, and I feel that way but I think most people feel that way but not a lot of people have seen him in person right, or right, in sure. a talk show and that makes sense um, I agree with you though. Yeah. Even though my reasons are completely different, uh, I do think that that he's properly rated, and, and 
he's definitely not underrated because he's the lead in two of my favorite films. And he gets he still gets a lot of work. And he's also in all three of the Dark Knight films. You can't be the lead in two Danny Boyle films and in three Christopher Nolan films and not be rated well. Exactly. You know, like that's those opportunities. You're working with two of the greatest directors ever. Yeah. Um, and especially of our generation. So I do think he's properly rated, and I can just put it down to one thing, is he doesn't have movie star charisma. He doesn't have that thing that you and I always talk about yeah. that, that the Goslings have and that the, the Cruises have and that all the old movie stars have. Um, he just doesn't have it. Yeah. Um, he might have it in person, but he doesn't have it on screen where you're just like, you're just like I just want to watch you talk about anything. Yeah. He just doesn't have that. And he also, I don't think that you can be a leading man... Uh, actor superstar and have that look of being like are you a bad guy yeah you can't have that i mean i think he peaked already i think his yeah. uh i think no pun intended with the peaky, peaky blinders there but i think uh he definitely peaked already and i i think that he's still a, a solid working actor my the likelihood of him getting and getting one of those roles those those career defining big time like Oscar nominated role seems pretty low to me at this point yeah but you never know people age into different parts of their careers so you could always come back so let's move on to a product oh no no it's a Naomi Harris who okay. was like nobody pretty much yeah. she was absolutely nobody it was hard to find um, she had sweet hair though she did uh, what I liked is that okay so first of all it was uh, she did If Looks Could Kill The Power of Behavior which is a short film in 2000 and then she did Living in Hope in 2002 and Anansi in 2002 as well um this was her movie. This is the one that put Naomi Harris on the map. This is the one that kind of had people pay attention to her, which is funny because she didn't really get a lot of notable work for a while. Yeah. And it was only until recently that I really kind of fell in love with her because I think she's a, she is a very, very good actress. Big year this year with, with uh, Sunshine. Moonshine. Moon, moonlight. Moonlight, yeah, with Moonlight <laughs> and with uh, the Will Smith movie. Um, Collateral Beauty? Yeah, she's in that oh, as yeah. well. She's his... Yeah, there's a twist in there. Did you watch I'll, it? I won't give it away. I actually did. I saw it with my mom and my sisters at Christmas. I don't think I would have liked it if I wasn't like with family over yeah. Christmas, but it was actually good huh. in that sense. Um, yeah, she just knew she's great. I think that she's... This is just one of those things. It's like, this was her opportunity. This was her one film to really push herself into the next level. And yeah. She, she does great in it. Her and Danny Boyle developed a backstory that she had to kill her mother and father to save uh, her little brother. Who she turns out was who already turns infected. Who turns out was already infected. Yeah, so I she ended that. up having to murder her whole family for no reason. Yeah. Um, other than the infection, which is why that moment when she turns and kills her friend. Yeah. Instantly. It's so brutal, but... It makes that, and I wish they were able to kind of inject that in there, or put that in the film somehow so that you could really understand why she's able to just turn on someone that's so been her companion so quickly. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually another thing, talking about how many of the scenes in this movie feel familiar, like I've seen them, like I've seen them before. Mm -hmm. That scene when he's telling the story about the handful of cash at the station and soft, the soft people, that's like, I think probably like would be in my top three fist pump moments, that yeah. monologue. It's a really good monologue, and it's that scene has been done now in a lot of these zombie stories yeah absolutely. Uh, that same scene that same story and that same imagery they create of like the world and money being irrelevant and just like just being willing to kill everyone to get your family out and trying to save your family and just like losing your family they're just gone yeah i mean those shots of the uh the bus tipped over and the hospital and the uh the money on the steps and all the posters on the wall yeah those are all pulled from real life things the september September 11th and, and, the, and the posters on the wall of missing people, that was actually an unintentional connection yeah. that they had filmed 
the missing people on the wall prior to the attacks and the attacks happened and that was posted and it was like very uncomfortable Danny Boyle was like we would have never put that in the film had yeah. this been filmed um, afterwards and the other thing with the money that it was a place called like pot pan or pot somewhere like a foreign I can't remember exactly you know you read the same stat where it was like there were pictures of that where it was just like money everywhere yeah. after a government had collapsed essentially and it's just like this is useless something right. very haunting about that so, uh, guys, we, we are running long right now, so we're no. going to sort of just try to move through some of this other stuff, um, though there's a few very important pieces here. Alex Garland, this is pretty relevant. We've talked about him a lot. So Alex Garland wrote the novel The Beach. That's, that's, he broke out with writing the novel The Beach. And in the 90s, The Beach sold like 700,000 copies, uh, was translated in 25 languages. It was a very, like, Generation X incredibly important film our buddy jason for instance probably remembers the beach and he that's like he's oh yeah. exactly the age where he would have read the beach and been like oh yeah that movie's sweet and the movie is good that's a good movie with dicaprio but it does fall apart at the end because it becomes this sort of like slasher adventure thing and garland didn't actually write the script for that he wrote the book okay. but then he writes this 28 days later which is a hit and i think that the end of this movie is tonally kind of wrong still you feel like it's I mean, it's Be- the best of the three but still right. a little wrong and then sunshine as well which is another one of my favorites and again the ending of that movie of the three also feels like pretty pretty bad like not i do correct. feel like the end of sunshine gets a little crazy so around the same time in 05 he was hired to write the script for halo he wrote a he wrote a script for the movie halo uh the movie was supposed to go in production 06 was canceled in 08 and then is now back on the back on the block to get made so and i never saw ex machina nor did i which and, is funny because people talk about how that's like a sign of like the light at the end of the tunnel for him he's got your doppelganger <laughs> I am Oscar Isaacs, okay? I can do him. I can do his roles. Um, yeah, I, and I haven't seen that. And for you guys that have, that could be a, a really nice... I know, I said I could do him. No, I oh. I was just thinking how funny a sketch would be of you being like, I do a great Oscar Isaacs impersonation, and then you like, and do I'm it. And I'm just myself. And it's just nothing like yeah, it. Not- <laughs> no, no, I look like, just like He's him. impersonating <laughs> me, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that he... Um, I think that with the way that movie was received, it might be like a step in the right direction for him because I do agree. The beach is ridiculous. Sunshine feels very ridiculous. This film, I think I have like a bias towards enjoying it. It's the best of the three. But it still does just a little bit. You're like, when did you become a superhero? Yeah. When did that happen where you like were just like, all right, I'm going to kill everybody. Yeah, right. I, all of a sudden, I like am not going to fall down. I can like just kill everyone, get away, like yeah. set the zombie loose, not worry that it's going to kill the girls. Like just like so much stuff. Where at the end, it's like I, all of a sudden you've become the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, and then and Lily just drives the Lily, the daughter. Yeah. Lily, she like drives Hannah, the, Hannah. Hannah. Sorry, Hannah drives the car backwards, and she's like, I'm going to time. It. Even though I'm like Vicodin'd up, I'm going to like time it so that it like drives the guy this thing. Grabs him. Yeah, and, that yeah. whole ending is just what is this? This is so different than what I just feels watched. Feels like a trip. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, that is that's Alex Garland. So moving on to Danny Boyle. Uh, yeah, I mean Danny Boyle. You know, he's it's, it's hard to talk about Danny Boyle a lot now. It's it's again he's become one of those directors that's so he transcends that of a director. He's become so famous in our um, in our I guess in our generation of, of directors. And so he was he was brought up in a working class Catholic family, and and he was an altar boy for eight years. And his mother really wanted him to join the priesthood. And it was at age fourteen that a priest told him not to do it. And uh, Danny Boyle says specifically, he says, whether he was saving me from the priesthood or the priesthood from me, which I think is also interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But quite soon after, I started doing drama, and there's a real connection. I think all these directors, Scorsese, Wu, Shyamalan. They were all meant to be priests. There's something very theatrical about it. It's basically the same job, poncing around and telling people what to think. 
And I think that's such a cool thing because that is really what priests and religion tell you, like tell you how to feel about stuff, how to think about things. And like, I'm an actor, you know that. And it's like, literally that's what directors do is just tell you how to think. And, and I pulled that because I think that's the most interesting thing. If you guys want to know more about Boyle and his career and how he became in Slumdog in 127 hours, go look at his Wikipedia. Um, but he's one of both of our famous, our favorite directors. No question. Sure. I've, I've said this for a long time. On Anchor last week, I did a lot of Danny Boyle content with Transpotting 2 coming out. Mm-hmm. Talking about my three favorite movies. I talked about uh, that I believe he's the most underrated living director. I talked about... Um, if you look at Danny Boyle's career pre and post Slumdog, it's a very different story. Everything prior to Slumdog is like an upscale indie movie. And everything mm. Slumdog and after... I would say save Trance and Trainspotting 2. And Trainspotting 2 is new, but Trance is the only weird one because no one saw that movie. But everything else, as far as like Steve Jobs, Slumdog Millionaire, 127 Hours, they're these like very high profile indie character movies where yeah. he's they're just. They're like really high budget movies that are trying to be indies. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I mean, I, and this is the other thing I always said. I would say he is the modern day Peter Weir. So Peter Weir mm. is like. Australian was like one of my favorites growing up. His most famous movie is probably The Truman Show. Yeah. Um, but Master and Commander, a great example of that is like Peter Weir trying to do Master and Commander. That's him trying to do a big budget like adventure movie. Yeah. That's the closest to a big budget adventure movie he can get. And that movie really did fall flat. Yeah. Some people like it. It's but. just okay. But like the movies that he succeeds with are like Dead Poet Society, The Truman Show, Witness, The Mosquito Coast, yeah. uh, The Year of Living Dangerously. These are like fearless. Like Peter Weir is. Uh, a great, great example of a guy who did consistent work at a very high level for a long time and just was always like, like you mentioned Nolan with Cillian Murphy. I think it's so interesting because I said this over the weekend when I was in San Antonio and I actually got to hang out with a couple of our fans. Mm-hmm. Um, Diana and Ryan are a, a couple, a married couple that listen to the show and yeah. I got to spend a lot of time with them because Ryan plays magic. I was on a team with him. It was very fun. And super, I made, super awesome. It was that, I so, love that. Yeah. so cool to get to talk to them. So big shout out to you guys if you're watching this right now or listening. But uh, I made the comment that Diana said, how can a guy that won an Oscar be underrated? I don't understand what you mean. And I said, well, think about it. Compare Christopher Nolan to Danny Boyle. Do you feel like who's regarded as the better director? One's won an Oscar, the other hasn't. Right? Hmm. Yeah, Nolan's like regarded as like maybe the best director alive right now. He's he's yeah, like there's, there's something about him where it's just like ah yeah he's the guy. Like yeah. d- even David Fincher, I would say is like sort of closer to Nolan. Yeah, Danny I mean, Boyle. I, I feel like every single director. I mean, the ones that really are up there, are like the Spielbergs and the Camerons, Scorsese and the Scorsese. But those guys are still not at the same level as Nolan, which is so weird because he's doing a different type or, of or new at least film. they're in the same circle. Whereas right. it feels like Boyle is barely hanging on to the bottom rung. But it's like it feels like new, like newer actors or producers. Like if, if I was to talk to like a twenty-five-year-old, I'd be like, "Who would you want to act in or produce this yeah. film?" They'd be like, "Well, Nolan." Yeah. But what about Spielberg? It's like, ah, I mean, he just did Bridges, but you know, yeah. So. I feel like Danny Boyle. Like people would be, it would be like it'd be like Damien Chazelle, Danny Boyle, and it'd be like a similar conversation. And you're like, how many good movies does he have to do before Danny Boyle just gets to be like one of the three or four yeah. best living directors? He's unbelievable. The guy He's has made incredible. I mean, yeah, so anyway, that's that's how I feel about the guy, and I just think it's crazy. He's criminally underrated, just consistently. Absolutely. Uh, so next we got Andrew McDonald, which is, I mean, it makes sense for this film because it was so low budget, but it's so rare that you get just one producer on a film. He was the co-founder of DNA Films alongside Duncan Kenworthy, and um, which is basically one of the most pr- successful uh, production companies in the UK with T2, Last King of Scotland, Sunshine, 28 Days Later. Um McDonald has worked with Boyle and Garland on Sunshine and 28 Days Later, and he produced uh, Garland's directorial debut, Ex Machina, which was very successful. Um, Yeah, I mean, he's just, 
he's just a very smart producer in charge of a very smart production company in the UK. If you guys look at DNA films, you'll see that they just they don't really miss a lot. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much that. Uh, moving on to the budget, this movie was made for eight million dollars. That's yeah. crazy. This is the, probably the lowest budget movie we've ever done on here. Absolutely, it's the lowest budget movie, and the only movie that feels even similar to to stretch the budget is Looper. Yeah, and that's yeah. thirty. Yeah, forty maybe. Yeah, yeah, eight million dollars. Uh, it opened June twenty seventh in two thousand three. Uh, it cost forty five, or I mean, uh, it grossed forty five million domestically and an additional thirty seven for a grand total of eight point or eighty two million dollars, which is ten times its budget. Yeah, I mean, this is part of the this is part of the string of movies in the early two thousands that really greenlit the horror genre as the low budge genre for new directors to get into. If you want to make a hit movie for like a very very small amount of money, make a ton of money back and have the cred to make the thing you want, you make a horror movie. Yeah, that's what they started doing. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna fly through these numbers real quick, and and that's actually gonna get us to a question from Jacob Leaf. So, uh, worldwide total gross eighty two opening weekend it was number four, but behind Charlie's Angels two full throttle at thirty seven. Uh, the, the return Hulk. of the return. It wasn't the return of Demi Moore when she was like forty five and came yeah, out like, looking like she was like twenty. She looked insane. Yeah, I right. remember. I still remember like being at a grocery store with my mom, and like. Uh, People magazine cover of Demi Moore and was just like she was like getting out. She of the had water? like a better yeah exactly like better body than any of the other three. You were like what the hell? Like, Jesus Christ! Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Charlie's Angels and then the Hulk eighteen million. I think that was the Ang Lee one. Yeah, right. And then Finding Nemo and it's like seventh week at thirteen. Yeah. So that brings us to the next question, which is you kind of just mentioned it and I'd mentioned it throughout the episode. Um, Jacob Leaf at Jacob underscore Leaf L I E F tweeted us for our hashtag AMA question. This film was a shot in the arm for zombie films. What are some other action movies that reinvigorated their niche in the genre? And it doesn't have to be action movies. I think it'd be any movies. Um, Ones that I thought of immediately were Knocked Up. I think Knocked Up really, really kind of started this new type of millennial comedy that you and I really, really relate to. Um, I think Cabin in the Woods is really interesting for horror movies um, and like that campy yeah. style of horror movie. I had another one written down that I really thought was great. I feel like I would probably say The Departed was one for, Ooh, that's for, a its, very good for one. its time because I think you know there hadn't been a really the last like really good crime movie had probably been Casino in '95 and it had been over ten years since there had really been like a great you yeah. know, Scorsese did it again. Oh, Iron Man was the other one. Iron obviously. Man, yeah, for that genre that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I think those are. I think those are solid. I think probably. I'm thinking like an, in the animated genre. I mean, you had all the classic Disney stuff, and then you had. I guess maybe like Toy Story could be the one that was kind of like, we can switch over to this animation, and we can still make the greatest. I mean, I don't know because yeah. I'm trying to think of other I mean, movies I'll, that came out. Top fifty, Toy Story. Toy yeah, Story for one. sure. It's in my top fifty. Um, Toy Story One's unbelievable. So good. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Which is funny that Toy Story Three is even is usually regarded as higher, which seems yeah. impossible. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other movies that that kind of put shots in the arm. What about the action genre specifically? I mean, maybe The Rock, uh, but it didn't really feel like it, it was just kind of one that happened during that time period. I would say probably Taken would be. That's a great yeah. Taken is an excellent example. Oh eight, because I think you know the mid two thousands there was sort of action movies but they weren't raw like take taken's pretty raw it's pretty stripped down yeah and taken kind of was part of the the modern era i did a whole segment on on anchor about Redbox generation talking about what's happened sort of to various genres and movie stars and i think taken happened right at that time yeah and taken was sort of that low budget what's liam neeson doing in this movie 
we're going to release it as a theatrical release and see what happens. And it's just sort of like, yeah, well, you never know what's going to work. And this worked. Liam Neeson's an action star. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that one was definitely Taken's a really good example. That's, that's a very good one. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, moving on to critical reception, IMDb 7.6 seems about right. Yep. Rotten Tomatoes, 87, 84 and 85% by all top and audience, uh, critics, which misses a little bit. But all pretty similar, all pretty high. Yeah, they all they're all similar, all high, and I think it's because of that third act. I yeah. think that's really what it is. Um, so moving on to favorite line. Uh, do you have a favorite line? I do. I love yeah. I love when they're in the grocery store and and uh, you know, <laughs> Cillian Murphy's holding some like cheap bottle of whiskey, and Brendan Gleeson walks up and he's like, you know, don't do that. You can't just drink anything. And then he picks up a bottle of Lagavulin 16. Oh yeah, because I love Lagavulin. 16. You do love Lagavulin. I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. I drink. It's like that's my that's like my if I'm out to dinner with a group. And everybody's drinking, and I'm like, I'm gonna have one drink, and I'll be like, I'll get a lot of Lagavulin 16 neat, just because it's like, like ooh, yeah, like it's sure. it's the common high end scotch. Yeah. most places. If it's a good restaurant, how much is that? It. Like like twenty something bucks. Uh, it depends bucks? where you are. Usually eighteen, eighteen, that's eighteen, not bad. twenty, or something like that yeah. for a pour. It's like expensive, but like not not ridiculous. Yeah, it's like worth having one or two if yeah. you feel like splurging. Um, and uh, anyway, he so he he picks up like six bottles of it, and he's like, and he's like. Ah, you can't just be drinking just anything. And he's like, takes out the takes out the fire, keeps the warmth. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's yeah. great. It's just because I just related to that. I was like, yeah, it's exactly right. He's a pe- nice peaty aftertaste. I was like, we're drinking it right now. The we're man not. knows what he likes. Uh, my favorite line is not actually a line. It's the uh, it's the note that his parents leave him. Oh, it's a great moment. It's just so sad and like so sweet. Like I remember I was watching with my mom and I went. Up, I was like, could you imagine that having to tell me that you hope i die yeah essentially because the right. world's so bad right that and so it's like you know we left you sleeping now we're sleeping don't wake up don't wake up it's not we hope you never wake up it's don't wake up it's like it's like sweet and real but also like horror yeah because it's like scary as shit it's the idea scary, of reading that. like yeah and then like the scene is terrifying yeah. of like the parents in the bed that are like emaciated and dead they've been there for a while the nails are long like it's just yeah. It's just something so cool about it. It's just it's a perfect scene. Yeah, it's a great yeah. scene. I had forgotten actually how much of this movie the the soundtrack is that like sad symphonic mm-hmm. sort of orchestral piano type of stuff. Um and it's just really like beautiful. It's just like a this is a great movie. It's it's a really a really well balanced, really well put together movie. And it's really driven by by strong relationships and strong yeah, characters. Just the relationships. Yeah, there's like no cheap scares and that stuff you're talking about. Don't go there. Don't turn the corner. Like none of that stuff's in this movie. No, thank God. It's a it drama. Really pull away. From, it's a, it is a drama. It's a re, it's real. It's a horror. It's like what it really feels like. This is like a horror action drama. Like this is what would happen if horror if this happened. Yeah. Uh, which I think is is perfect. It's a perfect segue to our question from Jonathan Gillian at basis underscore 1996 which I don't know if I've seen have you seen this guy before? I have yep. you have okay uh, would you consider this one of the best horror movies of the past 20 years I think that we've kind of said yes throughout this whole entire episode movie the last 20 years yeah um, if I had to put other movies in that category since I am such a big horror movie fan uh, if you guys want to check out I love The Descent it's phenomenal Jeepers Creepers <laughs> I love Jeepers Creepers <laughs> did you watch Get Out yet? Uh, I have not. My mom watched it she was terrible everybody just keeps telling me it was the best movie I know you hated I it? she hated it Get Out Get out. She said that she, it was so bad that her date wanted to leave during it, oh and goodness. she convinced him to stay. And I was telling her, I was like, she wanted to go to a movie yesterday. I was like, we yeah. could go to Kong or we could go to Get Out. She's like, I do not want to see that. She's already seen she it. She was so over it. She so, already went there with one date, Andrew. You're yes, not going to get that I'm one. I'm not going to get that one. <laughs> uh, my other ones are The Descent, Cabin in the Woods, and Don't Breathe. 
Those three are so good, guys. If you have a chance, go watch those three horror movies. They're awesome. I stay away from the genre for the most part, yep. so it's I, it's a harder question for me to answer. But I I don't think I, I think probably let the right one in. Uh, oh, was that's so was good. A really was a really yeah. good one. I think a lot of, I saw that. I like that one a lot. Um, so anyway, we're gonna move on to the last category here, which is uh, there are three action movie categories. Totally ridiculous. Totally legitimate. Ridiculously legitimate. We've explained them a lot of times. Totally yes. legit are movies that are grounded hold together like the fugitive lone survivor you don't laugh unintentionally movies that kind of fall apart and you just laugh the whole time even though you think they're awesome con air face off um the running man the running man demolition and, man those are totally ridiculous and then you have ridiculously legitimate which is the middle category that's point break that's the rock that's predator mm-hmm. uh, they're grounded in a couple really strong elements maybe a strong performance but overall you do kind of laugh your way yeah the whole way through and uh I think this movie is totally legitimate. Yeah. I mean, the, the ending, the ending is the only part, but I w- it wouldn't sw- swing me too far, right? Because it's not, it's not, it's not like crazy things happen. It's kind of like, eh, really? Yeah, you, yeah, I, I completely agree. So we only have one movie left, uh, one category left to talk about movies here, and that's called <gasps> the pitch. Whammy. Okay. We don't know what we're pitching. We don't. No. We will do. Uh, we will do the classic poll. We'll do the poll. We'll put up a couple movies and um, we'll let you guys decide. We'll try to think if there's anything relevant to kind of tie it to. Yeah, AMA podcast on Twitter, guys. If you go follow that, you'll see the poll. It'll go up today. And uh, otherwise, thank you so much for watching, guys. Of course, follow us personally. I'm Ben Bateman Media. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, please do check out Fist Pump Film Club on Anchor. It's Twitter yes. meets. Twitter meets podcasting, talking for 10 minutes every single day about movies. Download the app. It's 100% worth your time, and you can talk to me directly, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely, and I've actually been on there twice already, and it was super fun. We talked after Anaconda's, and we talked after the Anaconda episode on AMA last week. So uh, if you guys want to find me, you can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter. And um, thanks for showing up for my birthday. I appreciate Happy it. Happy birthday, buddy. Thank you, brother. Thanks for uh, witnessing the show, Supek. Thank you so Bye, much. Bye, Mom. <laughs> Bye, guys. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.